Welcome to the Beyond Mining podcast series. This podcast series was recorded from a number of talks, panel discussions and workshops held between the 22nd and 29th of November 2020 at the Beyond Mining Counter Conference. This counter conference was organised by Blockade iMark. Blockade iMark is made up of an alliance of organisations that has been protesting the International Mining and Resources Conference held annually in so-called Melbourne, Australia on unceded Wurundjeri and Boomerang country. You can find out more information about Blockade iMark and the Beyond Mining podcast series at blockadeimark.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy your podcast. My name is AC, and I want to welcome everyone to this um, pre-recorded webinar that we're about to show. Um, it's called Marilinga to Mulga Rock. Um, the Spinifex story. Um, Mulga Rock is a area about 300 kilometers east of Kalgoorlie. Um, it's a very special area to the Spinifex Anangu people. Um, and it's site of one of four proposed uranium mines in WA. There's currently no uranium mines in WA and people have been fighting very hard, traditional owners and their supporters to stop those mines from going ahead and they've succeeded up till now. But Mulga Rock um, and Vimy Resources, which is the company which is pushing it, are probably the furthest along towards uh, making it happen. It's Vimy Resources AGM right now as we speak and um, Demi, Debbie Carboni, who you will see in this um, webinar speaking, is actually there at this time as a proxy at the AGM to speak out um, because Vimy has consistently been ignoring the, um, the voices of traditional owners there and undermining um, or downplaying their connection to that um, country. Um, so definitely sending a lot of love and solidarity to them who are standing up, kind of speaking truth to power right at this time. Um, yeah, I will just let Lucho play the um, webinar and um, thanks everyone for joining us today. It's with great pleasure that this one I'm able to host here in Calgary, also with Anangul's Benefex and Western Nullarbor woman, Debbie Carmody, here at the Jumapulka Aboriginal radio station. Yes, hello. Um, my... Um, First Nations name is Nindiri, and my English name, of course, is Debbie. I am um, Anangul and Spinifex um, and Western Nullarbor traditional owner. Um, I'm also a traditional owner of um, Bilgi, which sits just below Dunjunjara and goes to the um, Trans-Australian um, railway line. And... Both my families, all my families have suffered from nuclear fallout from the atomic tests that were held at Maralinga, land that sits within um, our overall, you know, traditional homelands. And it was in the 1950s at the height of the Cold War that the British government began to explode a series of atomic tests in the empty Australian desert 
containing nothing but a few spinifex bushes, red dirt, and the howl of dingoes. A number of minor trials, assessment tests, and experimental programs were held at the range until 1963. Atomic bombs that were exploded in a forgotten land far away from Western civilization. This land, as we know, was not terra nullius, but home to another civilization, one who had lived in the desert for over 65,000 years. And, um, you know, I don't know, people may not know who the Alangal Spinifex, Bilki and Western Nullarbor people are, um, where our lands are. So our lands basically sit um, above the Great Australian Bight. We are desert people. Uh, Spinifex people live at Tuntuntjatta in the Great Victorian Desert, Anangal people at Oak Valley, and our Pilgi lands, as I said before, sit just under Tuntuntjatta, and of course, um, our Western Nullarbor people, which includes Karoni, Kunana, Kundalini, which is just east of Kalgoorlie. Um, and then from Kundalini, we would travel north to the area surrounding Mulga Rocks and the beautiful sand dunes nearby, which is women's country, where my father as a child would travel with his mother and other women to this special site of significance because the sands there are healing sands. It's also part of the Seven Sisters story. It is a sacred place and we use the sands there to massage and heal, especially after childbirth. My dad remembers playing in the sand dunes and walking nearby where there was a forest of grass trees and it was quite spectacular um, those grass trees um, so my people lived their separate existence in sand plains those sand plains contain the essential fabric of life our food and water our tools and shelter our family and friends and everywhere our law our country is dune country and in some areas is covered by a rich and strikingly beautiful mosaic of mallee, uh, mile oak, cypress and mulga vegetation. For thousands of years, we traveled all through our land for social, cultural, political and religious reasons. We had significant places such as Uldia, which was a major travel route and um, Many different people would uh, come and gather there and each group had their specific section of land where they would camp and there was a big meeting ground near the water which is now gone now because um, the railways um, took that water and but we would gather there and socialise and exchange news about each other and also to sing and dance but our way of life was soon to be disrupted it was 1908 when survey teams commenced work on the route of the new Trans-Australian uh, Continental Railway Line. The aim was to link the East Coast to the West Coast of Australia by rail. And um, one day a group of Spinifex men were travelling when they came across that railway line. And they had never seen steel tracks before and they asked themselves, what is this? They were amazed. The steel train tracks ran from east to west and they began to debate which way 
um, to follow, to track the tracks. And then suddenly a steam train appeared and the Spinifex people were scared because they had never seen white man's industrial creations before. And they ran and hid behind a sand dune, peering over the top of the sand dune, and they couldn't believe their eyes. This monster with steam puffing from its nostrils had eaten people and they could see the people inside this monster's stomach and the monster had turned them white. And so began my people's contact with the white man. And we learned about white money. We used to trade and, and, and barter and that. So, um, so Uldea had plenty of water there and it became an important watering hole, um, a watering point for the steam engines. And, and yes, brought my people into close contact with the railway workers and white travellers who had little conscious conscience and no understanding of Anangal, Spinifex and Western Nullarbor people. But the different groups of people were curious about each other. The white people would hang out of the train windows and look at the black people and the black people would, you know, stand on the side of the train tracks and look at um, the white people and it was really a question of who was looking at who. Um, my people learned to sell artefacts to the white people and it was a new way of trading for us and um, there were many Italians that had worked along the railway line and so new relationships were formed and children were born um, with the Italians and um, my people grew up speaking, you know, their own languages and, and Italian and the white train travellers were amazed that these black people were speaking Italian, you know, with no English. My people's satisfaction with life then came to an abrupt end. A big community meeting was held at Uldea and my Dhamul, my grandfather, um, he was the English interpreter and he told people they had to leave Uldea and the people were very sad. They were crying and mournful. They, um, you know, when we're very, very sad, uh, we wail and the wails um, filled the air and people asked each other, where do we go? This is our land, this is our home. We have lived here for thousands of years and um, we have no other home, but now we're being forced off. And at that time, the government gave them no um, explanation as to why. And so my people became refugees. And of course we had no cars, we had to uh, walk, which is what we had been doing for thousands of years anyway, but with sad hearts, my people walked away from Uldea. My Dhamal grandfather was given a um, horse and cart because of the work he did um, interpreting and he traveled east, but along the way, the wheel broke and his family and um, him, they just had to, you know, walk then. And the Jamison family, they walked to Uldea train station and waited until dark for a train because um, people weren't allowed to get onto the trains but the Jamison family sneaked onto a slow moving train, which was traveling west to Kalgoorlie. They had, that, um, they and other family members traveled west towards Kalgoorlie because 
the Western Nullarbor was our homelands. So in those days when we travelled, we travelled with fire sticks and the Jamison family jumped onto a wooden empty, um, an empty wooden uh, carriage. And they sat in the wooden carriage holding their fire sticks, but soon went off to sleep as the train picked up speed travelling through the desert night. The fire sticks dropped to the wooden carriage floor and of course a fire started and the whole carriage was on fire as the train hurtled into the night. No one heard the screams of the men, women and children as the fire engulfed them. Some people jumped into the speeding um, or jumped from the speeding train into the dark desert night, never to be seen again, while others um, were burnt to death. But a couple of people survived and today we tell their story. My people did not understand why this was happening to them. The white man's world was a cruel world, a world that showed no humanity. Later, my people found out that the reason why they had to move from Aldea, it was because of that bomb. Yes, the government, along with the British government, was putting plans into action to begin atomic testing at Maralinga, from which, um, my, at a later date, my, grand, my grandmother, my Garbali, and um, her younger son um, died from radioactive fallout. And so our secluded world, you know, sequestered in the spinifex and sand where food is camouflaged in arid gardens, raw materials nowhere apparent, and the sacred realm is a sacred, is a secret face, um, is a secret place and where the winds, um, you know, change like the ripples on the sand. And so while the desert winds would recreate, would recreate the soft desert sands, forming new landscapes, little did we know of the change on the horizon that was about to occur. Signs of white settlement that we actually saw with eyes of astonishment and fear. It was 1952 and while people um, around the world protested the, um, you know, the ban, the bomb, my traditional homelands was being bombed as the British and Australian governments tested atomic bombs. The um, Spinifex, Alamal, Bilkey and Western Nullarbor people, we saw strange things and suffered from radiation poisoning and um, we, you know, we died within our homelands. And auntie told me that the smoke was a long way away. It was going straight up. Everyone was coughing, vomiting, and blood was coming out of people's noses and mouths and whole families died. They were all very sick. No one could walk. Everyone was just crawling around on the ground. And all we knew was that the wind had brought in this terrible sickness. Um, crows fell out of the sky, they just dropped. Um, once they found some rabbits and they were already cooked and blackened and we ate them, she said. And she said, we didn't know that they were full of radiation poisoning. I should have had an older sister, but she died of the sickness. Other kids died and some people when they ate the meat and when they drank water, they died. 
and archival reports provide evidence that the Australian government knew that there were people in the area when the atomic tests took place. Um, Bob Stewart, an American missionary, he came out to Australia and set up Kundalini Mission in the 1950s. Kundalini Mission is just east of Kalgoorlie in Western Australia on the edge of the Great Victorian Desert. Bob Stewart said he had a vision to save Aborigines of the Western Desert so I could educate and Christianise them. The Australian government officially asked Mr Stewart to stop luring people in from the bush because their customary way of life should not be, dis um, should not be disturbed. And the government's refusal to remove people from the lands contaminated by nuclear fallout reflected the argument amongst white Australians at the time that uh, First Nations people living in the bush would disappear or die out because of the progressive onslaught of white superiority in physical, cultural, intellectual and Western religious ideologies. But Mr Stewart, he continued with what he called rescue missions when he uh, went out into the desert and brought people into Kundalini Mission. But by the close of the 1950s, the uh, British government called on the Australian government to remove and institutionalise um, Spinifex and Western Nullarbor people. And, and of course, there were some animal people there as well. Um, though most of them had gone to the South Australian side. And um, so the Australian government then um, encouraged Bob uh, Stewart, the missionary man, to rescue my people. My Dummel grandfather and my uncle Brooksy and a group of other Spinifex people said, when Bob Stewart pulled up to say hello, we greeted him with a dance. We were naked dancing like we saw them white girls dancing naked in the city. The missionary man gave us clothes to wear. And auntie said, clothing was all wrong, wrong way, upside down, inside out. We never wore clothes before. We didn't know what to do with them. Uncle Brooksy, he was walking around with a frock on. The missionary man said, I will come back and get you. Here is some food. He gave them food in a tin. My family had never seen tin food before. They thought it was a type of egg and they tried to crack it open, but it wouldn't open. So they thought, well, maybe it needs to be killed first. And they took turns uh, spearing the tin meat, but still it would not open. So, you know, my family, when they tell these stories, it's always told in a humorous way. And um, it's, it's very, very funny. Even this next little story um, when the missionary man came and got them and it was the first time they'd been for a ride in a car and the car took off and they were um, really, really scared to be moving so fast across the ground. One uncle tried to jump off the car but they had to hold on to him so he wouldn't jump and one, another auntie was just crying in fear and the other thing is that they were just all vomiting and with motion sickness. It was just a terrible, terrible journey, they said. But when they arrived at Kundalini Mission, it was even more terrible. Tin shanties, there was no water. By the late 1960s, um, Kundalini Mission was seen by the Australian government as 
an important contact point for the Spinifex and Western Nullarbor people and saw the settlement as an appropriate centre in which primitive natives could be trained and assimilated into white culture as servants. But there were many problems, such as its isolated position and a serious shortage of water. For my Spinifex family, this was a strange foreign land and um, it was a restricted lifestyle, full of poverty, lack of water. And they noticed that people's personalities began to change. There were arguments and fighting. It was a bad place and no one was happy. So we inherited a social disaster. While we understood the reason some of us were removed from our homelands, it is difficult to understand why the government deserted us once we were removed. And the evangelical experience of Kundalini Mission left my people little to be thankful for. Exposure to the spirit of Christ left us little but the spirit of the hop and the grape for consolation. The Australian Evangelical Mission finally accepted defeat. The process of assimilation did not serve my people well. And so the legacy of the church was left behind. But what a legacy for my people, rescued from the bush and delivered to a concentrated, poorly equipped, underfunded, badly watered, and poorly located settlement on the fringes of Western society. We were displaced from our homelands, refugees, because of atomic bomb testing, and thousands of our people were laying dead on contaminated desert sands. An uncle told me that an old man went back into the desert to look for people, and he said they were literally laying there like dead ants. When he came back to Kundalini, he died an agonising death one week later. And people were developing strange diseases and all their records were kept at the health clinic there at Kundalini, but sadly a fire um, burnt the health clinic down and all those records were lost. In the 1970s, the Spinifex people told the government they wanted to move back into homelands, but the government didn't listen to them. Instead, the government built another community, Kunana. A small group of people went to live there, but the majority of my people, the Spinifex people, voted with their feet. It was a huge exodus, a movement of the people. We got up, we stood up and walked from Kundalini to Yakadanya. It took six days to walk, about uh, 25 kilometres a day. And Yakadanya was regarded as a temporary... Uh, set down and it was just a stepping stone back into Spinifex country. But they um, put a board down and people lived there for about four years. Yakadanya is situated um, in the northern Nullarbor and it's quite harsh country, but they, there was a good supply of water there. The government agencies um, thought the whole intention for Yakadanya was a place where the old people could go and sit down and and use the place as a base to travel north into Spinifex country. But the people thought otherwise. This was just their first step, moving back proper to country to live. The Spinifex people received compensation from the government royal commission into 
the atomic tests at Maralinga and they brought machinery, hired contractors and pushed the road from Yakadanya through to Tundumtata. And because of um, cultural reasons, a senior elder walked in front um, to map out the route so as not to disturb uh, sites of significance. And at the same time, he, um, the road had to be close to um, water holes and he chose the best route through sand hills. And so he walked along, behind him came a bulldozer, then a loader and a grader, and then the spit effects people. And that is how we walked, we returned back into country. Um, my brother, he was a child when uh, we walked back into country. He was walking behind uh, the senior elder who was putting the markers down for the bulldozer to see what route he could bulldoze. And my brother remembers picking up the markers and playing with them as he walked behind the senior elder. And the bulldozer driver didn't know which way to bulldoze. Um, and my brother remembers the senior elder growling him as he had to walk back and retrace his steps for the machinery. Much later, we looked at satellite images of the land that we had graded through just to check out the, um, the geology of the land. And it actually turned out that the senior elder had picked the best route to put the road in. So it truly was an amazing achievement. Once my people got to Duntunjara, the community put down a ball for their water and from there, the community developed. Yes, the Spinifex people had returned to their homelands in the 1980s. In doing so, they found the southern part of their country converted into a nature reserve. The northern third leased to uh, First Nation peoples living in the north and the centre vacant crown land, meaning it belonged to the Queen of England. And so they were upset they had never seen the Queen of England cleaning out rock holes in their country. Regardless, the Spinifex people, they got to work, they built a community store, medical centre, school, workshops, you know, mechanic, mechanical workshop and, and women's centre. And then once they did that, the old people then began to take the younger people out bush and so began an education program to educate young ones about the land, um, our customs, our law, our thukupa. And to cut a long story short, in 1994, the Spinifex people employed an anthropologist to um, assist them in their native title claim to the High Court of Australia. So there was a lot of field work, um, looking at rock holes, telling the anthropologists um, the names of the rock holes, the creation stories connected to the rock holes, telling um, the anthropologist about the, um, the song lines and how they connect to country and to um, people. So, and you know, our travel routes and that. <clears throat> and so that all had to be recorded. And then we also recorded, um, um, you know, the song lines and that, and we began painting our country and we've produced um, lots of beautiful works that have been exhibited internationally. We used art um, to, yeah, to name and record and register every bit of country. And the art was also used um, as part of our native title claim. And on the 28th of November, 2000, 
my people, the Spinifex people, the forgotten people were acknowledged by the High Court of Australia as the traditional owners of the land and therefore had native title rights over their lands, which covers 55,000 square kilometres of land east of Kalgoorlie in the Great Victorian Desert. So my people survived the atomic tests, even though thousands of people died as a re uh, result of radiation poisoning. The native title determination has given Data community a strong framework in which we have planned, um, you know, we plan and for economic independence based on the fact that we have exclusive possession to the land. In 2004, the uh, Spinifex people um, opened up the Ilkulka Roadhouse and Art Gallery. Tourists are driving through there all the time to see this unique part of the country, which is owned and controlled by Spinifex. Um, tourists get to experience Spinifex hospitality. They learn about our history, our culture, and they learn that our story of survival highlights the strength of culture. But now another serious issue is looming for us. Uranium miner Vimy Resources Limited were given exploration approval to look for uranium deposits near Mulga Rock. Um, yeah, Ka will talk about will talk about this um, to you as well. But I want to say that in that land, and now I'm speaking as a Western Nullarbor um, person. Um, there's, it's just amazing. There's, um, it's home to some special, very, very special desert animals, such as the mountain devil, the pygmy possum, the night parrot, the rainbow bee eater, the southern marsupial mole, and um, quite a fascinating creature, the um, southern marsupial mole, and uh, the goanna. And we have a picture here. Did you know that the southern marsupial mole eats goannas? Isn't that interesting? So that's just to name a few. And um, there are underground water supplies. And as we know, um, that uranium mines use lots and lots of uh, water. If our water is used, we are concerned that the animals and plants will suffer. For example, in land not far away, um, beautiful grass trees grow and these plants are so unique and we do not want to see them disappear. They're just amazing. And the land where Vimy want to mine is land covered in golden sand dunes that reflects light beautifully in the early morning and the late afternoon. In my culture, it is women's land. No men were allowed to come onto our land because we did our own special thing there. Women's business. The Seven Sisters Songline passes through there. The land is special because the golden coloured sands heal illnesses. The land is, um, the sand, it's extremely soft and is a different colour to the strong orange desert sands. When you see this land of peacefulness just washes over you. My garbly, my grandmother, would take my dad there when he was a child. Dad and other children played in the soft dunes while their mothers would, they would actually bury themselves in the sand and let the heat of the sand 
heal aches and pains. They would use the sand to massage their bodies. The minerals in the sand would assist in healing ailments. We are the Western Nullarbor people. Currently, Vimy is playing one group of people against another group of people in the Western Nullarbor native title claim. As we know, mining companies have had, um, you know, long questionable reputations for um, social irrespons irresponsibility, um, especially towards um, traditional owners of the land. And in recent years, they have come under increased pressure and greater public scrutiny in relation to um, how they deal with First Nations people. And many have responded by developing global corporate social responsibility uh, strategies where a prominent place is given to their relationship with First Nations people. But Vimy is not acting within their corporate social responsibilities. They are using um, divide and conquer tactics by not talking with the appropriate people in the first place, but it will not work because our law, our women's law is stronger than Vimy. Their mind will never get up. But what we need to do is to strongly place Vimy under greater public scrutiny in order to point out their questionable behaviour towards Western Nullarbor people and the fact that they do not want to deal with Western Nullarbor people who hold cultural, political, religious and social responsibility to land that is strongly women's land. They are mainly talking to men and while they um, may include some women, but those people, um, though Western Nullarbor people, um, but they do not have a social and spiritual connection to the land because if they did, they would have told Vimy in the first place that the land in which they want to mine is women's land, is sacred land, is a healing land. The people that Vimy spoke to said nothing is here. And this is absolutely outrageous. And Vimy are currently still going along uh, with those people by saying that certain Western Nullarbor people are not Western Nullarbor people, which is um, really quite arrogant um, of them. So I was kind of thinking it would be good if we could start a social media campaign advising the world about Vimy and their corporate irresponsibility and questionable ways of working with First Nations uh, peoples who actually hold the special knowledge for the area in which they want to mine. Vimy's corporate contacts and partnerships need to know that Vimy's corporate social responsibilities go totally against ethical ways of working. And in this day and age, this is totally unacceptable. Thank you. Wow, there's lots of, um, as you can see, the lots of clapping, we can't hear them, um, but I'm sure there's a lot of clapping going on um, and, and thumbs up, yeah, with everyone there, because that was, um, 
really, really fabulous uh, story. But um, I mean, it's a sad, sad story and a beautiful story um, of your family's strength and resilience. And it's, 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 um, I'm sure a hard story to share at times because of what white people have done. And um, I don't know where to go to from here, if you want to keep sort of talking or should we go to questions. some questions? Yep, great. So I'm not sure. I mean, I can just generally say too that um, our elders um, out at Tuntunjara, Trevor Jamison and I were working on a play for the Adelaide Festival a few years back and our elders there told us, me and Trevor, that because we're living in the white world and have the white education and that, he, they put the responsibility upon us to let the white people know, the wider world know um, what our situation is. So, you know, I take that um, responsibility quite seriously. And, uh, and so we need to let everyone know how Vimy is um, not, not talking to the correct people and trying to cause divisions within our group. Mm. Yeah, and it's, that's a long, long history of that divide and conquer that you say, because it's not, certainly not a new campaign that's been going along, going on for, for such a long time. Um, but in terms of um, people online at the moment and those particularly in Perth, um, it's probably a good um, point now to, to just say the action that is coming up next next week, actually next Thursday, that Debbie will be going to, and that is the Vimy Resources AGM that's happening um, Thursday, the 26th of uh, November. And it really is um, like what Debbie was saying, um, that Vimy Resources, despite the current market conditions, they're aggressively um, pushing forward with plans to mine uranium at Mulga Rock. And, um, and so we're going to um, have an action next, next Thursday at 10.30 at the Perth, Royal Perth uh, Golf Club. That's where their AGM will be. Um, Debbie's gonna go in as a proxy to ask some questions to Vimy Resources. Um, because there's no other, we, what we wanna get across to the shareholders is this is a bad investment. No other, and so where we're at at the moment with Vimy Resources is that no other uranium company in WA has advanced their secondary approvals and license, licenses um, in response to the low uranium price. So we see Kintyre, we see Yuliri um, and Toro Energy um, at Waluna not pushing ahead at all, but Mulgarock in particular are the ones that are really pushing aggressively forward. And um, with the low uranium price and the stagnating um, nuclear industry globally, we want to really show that to the shareholders that it's not a good investment. Um, so Vimy Resources have, and then Nelly have all of their secondary state approvals. Um, and following this, they will need federal licenses and then most significantly, they will need investors. Um, but we're really concerned. We're concerned about what Debbie's just spoken about, the culture and the, and the environment, um, but also that it's an uneconomic uranium mine. It's pushing ahead with um, 
the, the Mulga rock mine despite a sustained low uranium price. I think at the moment we're at 30 US dollars per pound um, and I, they need to be up. And someone probably on this call, um, on this webinar probably knows a lot more than me of what it needs to sit around, I think 75 to 80 dollars, US dollars a pound. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Um, Vimy State Environmental Approval has a condition that requires them to substantially commence mining by the 16th of December next year. So 16th of December 2021 is when their state environmental approval will expire. And if they um, fail to make that date, they won't have a valid environmental approval, just like we've seen at Kintyre at the moment. There's um, there's no valid environmental approval at Kintyre. So they're racing against time, but so are we. We are also pushing on and contesting and challenging at every level that we can from freedom of information um, reports that we're getting into, actions at the AGM, and that's why I encourage anyone that is in Perth to come along. Um, but we are, we're, we're gonna stop that from happening. Um, Vimy Bull will be making a pitch to their shareholders on the 26th of November at their AGM to get the financing they need to start. And we need them, we need to be there to show them that that's, we're serious about stopping the mine. Um, so I'll stop there, because that's probably a good spot for me. Mia's put a link to the event page, thank you. Um, can we get some good posters and pictures to use on and share on Facebook? Absolutely, yep. I think that's a really good good idea um, so that people can start sharing them. And we have a lot of a lot of photos. I think it's a really good idea about the um, social media campaign as well, because there's a lot of people watching social media as well. I was going to just let you know about sort of the details of Mulga Rock um, before before Debbie spoke, but I can do it now just to just to um, so people are, are sort of aware of the project's proposal is that they're planning um, to clear three thousand seven hundred nine hectares of native vegetation, placing replacing that with fourteen waste rock piles and nine open oh. open pits. Um, so this mine um, and processing facility would take up to 15 million litres of groundwater a day um, and leave behind 32 million tonnes of radioactive mine tailings. But huge impact um, if this goes ahead and, and destru destruction of um, Debbie's country, but also other people that have been fighting to stop this um, mine for a long time, um, you know, and that's, why you know these sharing these stories are so important um, because they they will have very long lasting and devastating effects not just to the culture of the people but also to the environment and where it's transported across um, the country but also ending up in what someone I think it might have been Peter said you know the, letting the genie out of the bottle starts with uranium mining yet that mine if we let it go if it goes ahead could end up in nuclear power plants, causing waste that, um, in other countries, um, yeah. and also nuclear weapons as well. So that's why we want to stop it here. It's it's dangerous here, um, but it's also dangerous once it leaves here. 
that's what this webinar, I hope that people have got from this webinar, what I have got is that um, we've heard from people all around the world. We've heard people from different states fighting the waste dump, the nuclear waste dump in Kimber in South Australia from the Bungalow people um, and, the, and the farmers there that have a huge fight on their hand because this industry is so toxic. Um, and so stopping it from the source is not only supporting local and traditional owners, but it's also um, creating a nuclear-free future that we think is possible with renewables. I just think, you know, we live in a wicked world and, you know, wicked things happen, so we have to do everything within our power to stop this. Yeah, have to remain alert. Yeah. Time to end it there um, and say a massive thanks for, to Debbie um, for her time and for sharing with us her story um, because I know it's, it's not easy sometimes sharing those stories, but I think it's a really important story to get out and continue to, to, to share. Um, and also to Jill Mapulka, which we're coming live from um, at the Aboriginal radio station here in Kalgoorlie that Debbie runs with her sister Libby. We've had a huge amount of people come online and share their stories and uh, it's makes what, you know, it makes me and I hope a lot of you um, motivated to keep uranium in the ground. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Um, yeah, at the end you saw, if you want to know more about that campaign, there's Nuclear Free WA is the, um, is the Facebook page and the um, Conservation Council of WA have a website, um, ccwa.org.au, um, where they have information about uranium mining potential over in um, Western Australia. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much for everyone who attended today. hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information on the Beyond Mining podcast series, Blockade iMark and much much more, please visit blockadeimark.com. Thanks for listening.